This is the Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. There seems to be a major controversy going on in the world today about um, whether it's okay to make money, whether uh, you have to choose between doing good and doing well. And uh, we're here today with uh, somebody who has, I think, proven that you can do uh, good while doing well, and you can do well while doing good. And we are here with uh, Will Harris, who is, uh, I think, becoming uh, quite well known. And uh, you're, I think, Will, you're on the verge of being a really a breakout famous uh, superstar of somebody who has who has seen something from a business standpoint that needed to be changed and did it um, not just to do good, but actually to do well and uh, made a huge bet doing that. So uh, Will Harris of Bluffton, Georgia, it is a pleasure to have you on the Wealth Ability Show. Tom, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being with you today. I'm, I'm grateful to you. So if, if you would, just <clears throat> let's go ahead and just give our uh, listeners and our viewers a little of your background and um, kind of the, the story behind what happened here. Good, good. Thank you. <clears throat> so uh, I am Will Harris. My farm in Bluffton, Georgia is called White Oak Pastures. I am the uh, fourth generation of my farm to operate, uh, to operate it. My daughters are the fifth. And they have babies who I hope will be the sixth. My great-grandfather came here in 1866. My dad was born in 1920, took over the farm post-World War II, 1946, and really changed the farm dramatically. Uh, under his watch, it went from a polyculture of a lot of different species of animals living in symbiotic relationships with each other to a monoculture of just cattle. <clears throat> and my dad ran it that way successfully for his career. Uh, I never wanted to do anything except run this farm. I went to the University of Georgia, majored in animal science, graduated in 1976, came home and ran the farm very industrially as a monocultural cattle operation as my dad had done for his career. And, and we were we were successful. Uh, we, we I paid taxes every year. I went back and looked. I never had a, a year I didn't pay income tax. It was not a, we certainly did not make a lot of money, but we lived very comfortably. But despite that, 20 years in, in the mid-90s, I became uh, very, very disenchanted with what I was doing. Kind of a long story, but uh, I, I just didn't like monocultural, industrial, commodity cattle raising anymore. And I started to evolve the farm, and I did. <clears throat> Today, we raise uh, uh, five different uh, red meat species and poultry. <clears throat> we uh, uh, have a, uh, we, we really turn the farm into a food hub. We've got about 170, 180 employees. We're the largest employer in the county, Clay County, Georgia, one of the poorest counties in the country. 
And this is just a, a very different operation and we really enjoy running it. I don't think my daughters would have come back had I remained a commodity cattle grower. So uh, if you would, um, Will, explain what that means um, for the the uh, listeners who were are not in the cattle business. Um, what's the, what's the major difference here, and uh, what was that trigger? What what triggered you to look at going? Wait, wait a minute. Uh, what worked for my what worked for my dad uh, isn't working for me. Okay. So the commodity cattle business or the commodity anything agricultural business is very linear, very much. Uh, 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 it's like like a like a like a like a manufacturing company, and you, you and I occupied a space in that linear industry where I raised calves and passed them on to the feedlot owner, who passed them on to the uh, meat slaughter people, who passed them on to the grocers or food service. Very linear, very linear. <clears throat> the model that I came back to is very cyclical. You know, it's there's not a straight line. It it and and we uh we do we raise animals, we slaughter animals, we market uh, uh, meat and poultry, we have an online store, we have a restaurant, we have a, a general store here on the farm, a number of different but it's very cyclical, very very cyclical. Not much spins off. Got it. So, so what was it? What was the trigger? What made you decide to do that? Um, to go from the linear, which is certainly, you know, a model that a, a, you know a lot of big ag uses, to uh, the cyclical uh, model where you're really doing more of a vertically integrated uh, type of an operation. You know, all, all big ag is very linear, and again, I was I was right in the middle of that, <clears throat> and it it happened one morning, and I don't I. I I have a, a hypothesis of why it happened, but I was loading up uh, calves to ship to a Midwestern feedlot, calves that I had raised. And uh, I, I was shipping them on a double deck, 18 wheeler truck. And uh, the it'll, uh, a double deck truck like that will hold a uh, hundred 500 pound calves. Wow. And the ones on top are urinating and defecating on the ones on the bottom. Jeez. Oh, and they'll stay on the truck for 30 hours till they get to Kansas and Nebraska or wherever we're feeding them at that time in that linear model I described. <clears throat> and I had done it all my life. I did it for my dad. I did do it. But I, suddenly that morning, I just didn't like it. And I started uh, moving away from it. And one step away from it led to another and another and another <clears throat> to the to to the reach the point that what I do today just barely resembles what I used to do. I'm still in the capitalist compared to what I uh, to the linear model I was part of for so many years. And my dad was for his whole career. Um so that's a big bat you made. Um what what was the short term effect? Did, um, how long did it take you to make that transition? Well, it, it was a big bet, but it didn't seem like it at the time. I had a lot of naivety. You know, I, it so happened that uh, uh, well, my dad had worked and, and granddad, great-granddad, the farm had no debt. And it was profitable every year. 
And I didn't know you could lose money. I mean, I just thought as long as I showed up for work every day and did what I was supposed to do, it would be okay. <clears throat> but I changed so many things that it became not okay. And we actually had some, some I didn't know what a lost carry forward was, but I learned. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, uh, but but it, it, it worked out. You know, we found the, the, the timing of the change I made happened to be so, so, so fortunate. Uh, you know, this was the mid-90s, and, and nobody had heard of grass-fed beef much until that era. By the time I had something to sell, uh, grass-fed beef was surfacing a little bit in the health food media and <clears throat> compassionate uh, animal uh organizations and those kinds of things. So I, my timing was absolutely uh, best case fortunate. And it wasn't skill on my part. I didn't see that coming. It just came when I needed it. <clears throat> but we were able to move from profitable to loss back to profitable. Uh, again, mostly because the timing is just so, so fortunate. Well, I, I suspect it was more than that, but I, but I appreciate that. Uh, I, always, I always love to see humility in entrepreneurs, and I, I think most entrepreneurs feel that way, that they're very fortunate in their timing. Um, so you said something that really struck me. I'm a, as you may know, uh, my background is all tax, and I'm, I'm a tax guy. And you said that you actually pay taxes all those years. I'm going, man, you're probably the first, first uh uh, first person agriculture I ever met that made that actually you know paid taxes like that, and then you returned to profitability. Um, how many employees did you have uh, when you were in the linear model? Four. Four. And how many do you have now? One hundred and seventy something. And and let's talk about the town. Um, what what was going on with the town uh, while you were that linear model with four employees? Yeah, that, that, I'm glad you, you brought the town up. That's, that's one of my favorite things to talk about. So the, the, the town of Bluffton peaked in population in 1900. And uh, from 1900 till now, it was a decline every decade, every, every census, uh, just a shrinking economy. Bluffton uh, is in a wonderful area for farming, but it's never had a railroad, never had a it's been a purely agrarian economy. So it lived and died by that. And by the time I came along, well, when I was born, the town was dying, but we didn't know it. But it it, it became evident, and, and we were just used to it. We just accepted the fact that Bluffton is drying up. It's not the only one. Most of these small right. rural communities around here have dried up or, or are drying up. So uh, when I uh, made the change, it was a really big change in my operation. Uh, it was all about the land and the animals. That was my focus, and that was what I was passionate about, and that's why I did it. The benefiting the town was never on my radar, because I didn't think I could do it. I mean, it, I didn't think I could change that. And I, I can remember... Years into it, I had a visitor, and he said, this is a nice little town. And it 
surprised me that somebody would say that. And I looked around and said, you know, it is. This is this is nice because we had hired people and brought them in and were paying significantly above the county average. And we that became a focus of mine, and now it's a passion of mine. And I'm very proud of what we've done here in Bluffton. We have bought, I have bought, every house except one that's sold here and lot and storefront in the last 15 years. And I don't, I, we certainly don't own them all. We don't own half of them, but we own a lot of them. And we have, uh, it's very competitive among my employees who gets to live in town. And uh, that's a little problematic sometimes. We're looking for housing opportunities for that better. But it's, a, it's, it's, it's quite a, a passion of mine now. It's the land, the animals, and the rural community. So what do you what what do you attribute that to? Why why did the as you were changing the nature of your business, it changed the nature of the town? What was it uh, when you're looking back on it that changed the nature of the town? Yeah, I just clear to me. So my dad used to say that uh, uh, A and B students go live somewhere else. The uh, F students get locked up and the C students stay here in, in, in Bluffton and Farm. And he he was really right. I'm, I'm, I'm an example. I'm that C student. That, that, that's what I did. <clears throat> and when we, but when we changed the way we farm, we attracted non-farmer, non-Southern, non-rural people. And I have a lot of people that work here that are I've had, I've had people who had PhDs work here as managing the poultry operation. And we, it's it's uh, incredible the people that have been drawn to this lifestyle. It's not the money that, that uh, I can assure you that they they, they want they want to be here, and it just made a nice little town. It, 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 uh, you know, we I, I I opened a store and a restaurant and a. Uh, RV park and the number of other businesses that we've opened here because we had the need for them. They're not real. They're not real profitable, but they pay for themselves and they offer a really nice lifestyle for me and my family and my employees. That's nice. So um, clearly uh, you've got PhDs in there. You're doing some innovation. What are some of the innovations that you've had to do in order to make this work? Ooh, the list is long. Uh, you know, we uh, we endeavor to operate our meat packing plant as zero waste. I built a slaughter plant for my red meat and my poultry, and we operate those. USDA inspected to operate five days a week, each one. And the, the waste stream that comes out, uh, it's not, I, I, I don't let them call it a waste stream, it's a nutrient stream. And we take that and make uh, pet treats and uh, we make lover, we make uh, uh, purses and wallets and those kinds of things. The, uh, uh, what's really a, the waste, the eviscerate gut fill, we turn it into compost. We generate about seven tons a day of, of, uh, of, of th th those uh, eviscerate and that kind of waste, quote, waste material that we compost, turn it into fertilizer that we put back out on the land. 
So right, me, I can go on, on we have a, uh, it's all about using, a, you know, my hero, one of my heroes is George Washington Carr. And one of the things he said is, in nature, there is no waste. And we try to run it that way. That's awesome. So um, how long how long before you became profitable? Uh, well, I lost money last year, so I, you know, but, but uh, that, that, but, but we had been making, we had made money for a number of years prior to that. Uh, we, we're, we're changing the business. I can tell you more about that later. But, uh, uh, I guess probably four or five years before the profits were adequate to pay taxes on, uh, I can go back and look. We have, and we had some really good years. Uh, I sold, uh, Publix supermarket and whole foods market the first pound of grass-fed beef wow. they marketed as american grass-fed beef so we we had a, a really great run of several years now uh, imported grass-fed beef has really hurt us badly in these grocery sections i don't sell whole foods market anymore uh, at all so we had to rethink our deal and uh, move more into direct to consumer through our online store. Oh, okay. And, our, that, that, and that is where we need to be. The, 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 uh, the pandemic taught us that, you know, we, uh, uh, our grocery store business fell off and our, our online business just went way up. Proud of that, the online business was just a nuisance. But now it's our direction. You you said that you've had people come from non-ag, um, from other places, and uh, and and then you've talked about how you, you know your employees fight for getting to town. So do they do they stay there? Do they learn and then leave? Are they taking this to other places? What what's what's happening? What's been the the end result here? Yeah, that was exactly what I wanted to comment on. So uh, you know the you know, on the farm. The way it typically worked is the, the patriarch of the farm, like my dad, granddad, great-granddad, had a number of employees, all male, that went to work for him when they were all young men and, and worked together all their lives and then passed it on to the next generation. That's, that's, that's kind of the way the farm model worked. And that's the way it was working for me until it changed. And when it changed, it changed dramatically. Uh, the people that we hire now are not typical. Well, they're, they're, again, they're not they're not southern, they're not rural, they're not farm. They're very smart, professional people who've made a lifestyle choice. And they come here not with the intention of working here for the rest of their life. And I have come to love that model. They come here with the intention of, of just being here until they learn what they want to learn, to get ready to go somewhere else. And I, I'm, I'm I, I I love it that way. Uh, I I'll ask them how long do you expect to stay, and there's no wrong answer. Just let me know. And it's it's a a great model. We uh, they they come and they go. They don't just uh, come and leave. They they leave something. They figure things out. They 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 help make the operation better. And it's uh, I'm. I love my employees. I love the contribution they make, and I, I don't expect them to stay here forever. And and, and really, kind of love. I, I love the turnover. I like having new ones in here. 
Can, can you give us a, just uh, one one example of uh, when you say they leave something and they make it better uh, of a of an employee that's you know made a, a major difference? Oh, many many. Uh, uh, Frankie Darcy, brilliant young man, no farm background whatsoever. He's a computer guy. Came here and started our uh, pet treats, uh, rawhide program uh his uh he, he took one of my female employees with him when he left who was brilliant laurie moshman who started our black soldier fly program to raise larvae to feed chickens uh another employee uh, started our composting operation another started our leather business another started our uh, uh Canned goods, vegetables, jelly, on and on and on. Just they—they they come. They—they they want to do things. Uh, the first time they ask, I don't let them do it. You know, I, I make them. I, I wait. I'm sure they're passionate about it. And then when they when they uh, demonstrate they've got the passion for it, then we'll invest. You know, it's my, it's my money, their time, and labor, and. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's just beautiful. That's awesome. So, uh, outside of the 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 town and the employees, what do you see as the extended uh, impact of what you're doing? Well, I got I got to say that uh, generally, I'm, I'm that's a disappointment for me. Uh, when I made the changes i thought i was an early innovator in changing the way we're going to farm in this country that i had i don't think i said that out loud but that's what i thought and it has not worked that way uh it is uh, it's harder not it's harder to get a business like this started today than it was 30 years ago when i did it 25 years ago when i did it why is that uh, because of uh, uh, big food companies stealing the message, uh, uh, you know, importing. I mentioned so you can leave uh, a big food company, a big meat company, can legally import beef from twenty countries: Uruguay, Australia, New Zealand being the three primary countries and label it as American grass-fed beef, even though the animal was born, raised, and slaughtered in another country. That if, if, if value was added in this country, under the country, country of origin, origin label rules, it can be labeled product of the USA, and which is just horribly misleading to consumers, but it's allowed. And there are other things I could go into, but the uh, big, big, big food has so much control over the uh, USDA over labeling uh, that it, it it is very hard, and uh, I I hate it because I really think that there's a lot of a lot of uh, beneficiaries to the way we manage our farm, manage our land. And, uh, and then it's just as hard for people to do it today. Well, and it seems to me like with with all of the uh, emphasis on climate and uh, sustainable and all of this, you you would think that what you're doing would be celebrated even more than it is. 
Well, you would think that, but how many times have you heard that uh, cattle are destroying the ozone layer? They're, I got the big tip for you. They're not. <laughs> They're not. It's a damn lie. Industrial beef production may be standing in a lot, eating corn out of a trough. That I, I probably say, and I, 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 it probably is. It's probably very bad. I don't, I don't know that. But the way we do it, we actually sequester carbon in the soil. Really? There's a, uh, on my website, whiteoakpastures.com, there is a, uh, a study, a scientific study done by Quantis, an environmental uh, studies group, laboratory group, that shows that we sequester three and a half pounds of carbon dioxide for every pound of beef we sell. We're the opposite of what the... Uh, so you're a you're a net carbon consumer. We're uh, we are a consumer. We're uh, we sequester carbon. That's so, awesome. But it and it's and it's true. The scientific study is showing it, and then there are others. But you know, you, you hear that cattle are destroying the environment from so many different sources. Such loud voices. Yeah, you you do for sure. Uh, I'm curious. So with uh, um, how big is the how big is is your uh, your your ranch, and uh, how many people do you feed hmm. with your with your uh, products? Yeah. So the, uh, the the farm the 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 farm here is thirty two hundred acres, which is uh, it's a little bigger than average here. It's it would be huge in Connecticut. It would be tiny in Montana. Right. So, uh. We uh, uh, what was the other question? How many how many people do you feed? Oh, and so and 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 because that's how big this farm is. We also do solar grazing. We have a vegetation management contract on a couple of thousand acres from a company called Silicon Ranch, and they pay us to graze sheep under their solar panels. Oh, okay. It's a very good business for us. It's new, and I'm very grateful for that. So about five thousand acres total. Uh, how many people do we feed? You know, I've actually done that calculation before, and I think that if we assume, I'm, I'm not sure of these numbers, I have to go back and look, but if we, if the consumer ate all of our product and nothing else, you know, 90 pounds of whatever, beef, whatever, 90 pounds of chicken, 40 pounds of beef, 30 pounds of pork, uh, it's, it's probably about 20,000 customers. But of course, that's not the way it works. You know, people eat some right. of ours and somebody else's. So, you know, it, it, and, and I'm glad you brought that up. <clears throat> it, 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 it brings me to something I'm really passionate about is we have grown white oak pastures as big as we want to grow it. <clears throat> my, my children and I, key employees, have had the discussion and we don't want to grow this business so big that we've got to hire executive management to come in here and run it for us. We don't think that's the way a food business should be. We think that food businesses should be local. And I don't know whether that's, I just feed Bluffton or I just feed uh, Clay County or I just feed Georgia, but I want it to be as local as it can. We ship beef to 48 states. We ship products, not just beef. We ship our products to 48 states, but I really don't want to. You know, I don't want to compete with, with other farmers in 
Maine and California and Oregon and New Mexico. I want those farmers to have their own local food business. So it, it I can't afford to not do it now because I need to sell $25 million worth of product to pay for the $8 million worth of It's just incumbent, incumbent upon all of us to try to make the food business as local as we can. We don't the result of the large multinational food uh, industries that feed us. So, so what's next for you? <clears throat> the uh, the uh, We've got a lot of growth potential with the solar voltaic grazing under the vial. <clears throat> we buy and lease land anytime we can. It's it's very difficult to uh, compete with uh, corn, cotton, peanut growers that surround us. Those are very uh, heavily subsidized programs by the USDA. And it's very hard to compete, but we, we try to when land's available. Again, the, the goal is not to see how big we can make it. That's 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 not what we want to do here. The goal is to see how well we can do it. Yeah, and you th- do you think you can uh, do better than what you're doing? Oh, we make improvements every day. I mean, it, we we are forever. We 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 grew this business quite fast. I mean, it it went from a when I when I had three employees. Uh, and it was farming beef cattle industrially. I was probably selling a little, a little over a million dollars worth of, of product a year. Uh, fast forward, I mean, really fast forward to today, we're selling $25 million worth of 180 uh-huh. employees. So that, that's, that's, I mean, it took two or three decades to do it, but it's pretty fast. That's very and, fast. And it, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do better. So um, if you were to, uh, you're sharing your wisdom now. You've, you've got a book, A Bold Return to Giving a Damn. I love it. Um, you've, you're out doing podcasts. Um, what um, What would you tell people? about what, uh, whether it's from an entrepreneurship standpoint, whether it's from a doing good standpoint, whether it's from an agricultural standpoint, uh, what is the message that you want people to learn um, and and what people can actually do? Well, that's a very broad question. And I'll just try to narrow it down by saying that what, I think that what we lack, what I see people like so often in their endeavors is determination. We call it grit. You know, the the ability to put up with whatever comes your way and keep keep getting up. You, know, you get knocked down a hundred times, you get up a hundred and one times. So I think that uh <clears throat> I didn't expect that question. I could probably do a better job. I thought about it for a, a week or two. <laughs> but uh really I think that uh just just Persistence, determination, grit, not giving up, staying the course. It doesn't mean you can't make changes in operations, but you don't you don't give up the course. Don't give up. 
Yeah, you, you seem to be very um, singularly focused in, in what you're doing. Um, and I am curious, how, how important has that been over the last um, 20, 30 years? Well, I think it, it certainly has been important to me. I mean, I uh, I am very focused. I, I don't want to go anywhere but here, and I don't want to do anything but this. You know, and it's much easier for me than a lot of people because, you know, my job is my hobby, it's my livelihood, it's my pastime. Uh, you know, I. I do what I do about 12 hours a day, about seven days a week and love every bit of it and don't ever intend to do anything any different. Well, I, I, I love that, um, Will, because uh, to me, it's, it sounds like it's your calling. Um, this, this is what you were, you see that this is what you were put on earth to do and, uh, and, and you're all in um, on this. And I think that is, a, I think that's a critical message for, uh, entrepreneurs, employees, whoever, I think, you know, being all in in what you're doing and only doing something that you're all in uh, makes a huge amount of sense to me. Well, I've certainly had my share of problems, but lack of, of, of uh, direction is never a <laughs> problem. I love that. I love that. Um, that's great. So uh, whiteoakpastures.com is your website. Um, the book is A Bold Return to Giving a Damn, One Farm, Six Generations, and the Future of Food. Uh, certainly uh, food, one of those uh, key ingredients to life. And and love, love, love what you're doing, um, Will. Any final um, words for our audience? Well, I hope you buy the book, and I won't be asking you to buy a sequel because my writing career is over. I'm a, I'm a one-trick pony, and that was my trick. That's awesome. So uh, thank you, uh, Will Harris. Um, I think that this, uh, this message of doing good and doing well is very is critical to our world. And I think that uh, the, the message that you just uh, left us with, Will, that it is about focus and determination and grit and, uh, and, and really having a passion for what you're doing. I think there is nothing um, I could uh, say that would be more important than that. And I do think that uh, when we do that, uh, we will make more money, that uh, we absolutely will do that. And uh, um, if we invest in things that are productive for the world, we will, as it turns out, also pay less taxes. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Will. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate you having me on. You've been listening to The Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.